You're listening to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where we believe every mom is uniquely designed by God for his purpose, but also a part of something much bigger than she could ever be alone. Authors and moms, Erin Mooring and Brooke McLaughlin. Hey, that's us. Hey, it is. We're going to help you make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Listen in on real life conversations with the experts about real issues parents face today and learn practical ways to focus on Christ as you seek wisdom and hope for the difficult job of raising children in today's world. If you're ready to handle life with grace because you've been in the presence of God, you're in the right place. Here are your hosts, teachers, writers, speakers, moms, and lovers of all things cozy, comfortable, and coffee-related, Brooke and Erin. Hey there, friends. You're listening to episode eight of the Million Praying Moms podcast. Erin, a lot of our listeners know that you and I have been talking about the issues Christian parents face today for several years now. We've been just doing it on a different platform. That's right. For the last two years or so, Brooke and I have been coming to you live on Facebook for weekly episodes of what used to be called Mob Live. Mob, of course, standing for Mothers of Boys. And that's really where the whole idea of talking about important issues that parents are facing today got started. We did something like 50 episodes over that two-year span, many of which you asked us to make available in a podcast format. So that's what we decided to do. Over the summer of 2019, we're going to be mixing in some of our favorite older episodes of Mob Live and offering them here as podcasts. Now, believe me, there were some absolutely fantastic episodes, and we do not want you to miss out. Today's episode is kind of a continuation of the subject we addressed in episode number seven last week. If you haven't listened to us talk to Luke and Trisha Gilkerson about creating a biblical worldview for teaching your children about sex, you're going to want to do that right away. We made a case in that episode for why the topic of this episode, how to talk to your kids about puberty, should really be done after you have the initial quote unquote talk with them, which if you stop and think about it kind of blows my mind. I always expected that we would need to have the talk with our kids after they reached puberty, you know, but technology today makes it absolutely necessary to get to your kids with what our friends Hal and Melanie Young, who by the way, will be joining us on the podcast soon, call the firstest with the mostest. And I've always loved that quote from them. So don't skip over that episode just because your child hasn't hit puberty yet. If you wait much longer, you could be too late. I could not agree more. In this episode, we're bringing Luke and Trisha back to the show to help us understand how to talk to our kids about puberty from a biblical standpoint. Later this summer, we hope to have them back on the podcast for a third time to help guide us in giving our kids a godly biblical perspective on relationships. So you can see the topics all really fit together well and create a really nice package on the topic of biblical sexuality. After episode number seven, many of you raced right out and picked up a copy of Luke and Trisha's book, The Talk, and we were very excited to be able to get that resource into your hands because we've had such a positive experience with it in our own homes. If you didn't get yours yet, you can find a link to it in today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com, as well as a link to the second book in their trilogy on the topic of biblical sexuality called Changes, which of course is about talking to your kids about puberty. The thing I like about the books in this series is that they're super manageable. They're short, 
they're easy to use, and you don't have to have a PhD in biology or even in theology to be able to use them. Thank you for that. Since we had <laughs> all the parents said amen. Yes. Since we had the Gilkersons on the show last week, we won't do a big introduction. Instead, we'll just get started talking about how to talk to your kids about puberty. Welcome back, Luke and Trisha. We are so glad to have you back. Um, so for those that might be turning in for the or tuning in for the first time, do give our audience a little bit of information about you and your ministry, your family, that kind of thing. Yeah. Thanks for having us back on again. Uh, We appreciate it. Um, Luke and I are homeschool parents to five boys. This little guy here is our youngest (laughs) months. And then we have kids all the way up to 13 then. So we, we know boys. (laughs) (laughs) We um, blog over at intoxicated on life and um, also have a community for parents called Pathfinder Parenting. Um, we've written a number of books, as you talked about, on sex ed. We speak on sex ed, and we have some courses for parents, too, on sex ed. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're really happy to do this. One of the things we love about talking to parents about this is this is one of those subjects that is, it's, it's like you said, you said there was one of your more popular episodes mm-hmm. uh, to talk <laughs> about this. When we travel at conferences, this topic is extremely popular for for us to to speak about and it's not and it's not because you know trisha and i are you know the most riveting of individuals uh, you know, <laughs> workshop it really because nobody knows how to do it they're all yeah. terrified yeah. <laughs> about the subject um but we really do feel like this this is something that if you approach very you know very purposefully and incrementally it isn't overwhelming. So I hope we can shed some light on that today. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, I love where you went with that because it's the perfect setup for the first question that we have for you. You said, if we go at this incrementally, in other words, you know, if we're building on things that we're already doing, then it doesn't have to be overwhelming. So talk to us, talk to our parents today about when is actually the right time to start talking about puberty with our kids. You know, uh, actually, I don't think that you need to be afraid of talking to your kids about puberty, even very early on in life. Um, We have, I mean, with our six-year-old twins, we have already mentioned the concept of puberty. It is a thing that will happen, you know, but again. They have older brothers that they're seeing, you know, so it's a very easy time. It does does help to have older siblings for sure. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) With our oldest, when he was much younger, um, when he was eight, nine years old, we were already talking to him about the fact that people go through this this stage called puberty where their body begins to change. Now, initially, those initial conversations where we were just mentioning the concept were very brief, you know, 10 seconds of mentioning a, of, a, of a concept. So it's right. not it, when we're talking about just mentioning what it is or mentioning a few little details or something, you can really start as early, you know, as early as a child's able to comprehend what you're talking about, or, the, you know, under, able to understand the words. But when you're talking about getting into the details, that's a different thing. Yeah, I was just saying, when you get into the details, the nitty gritty, one of the things is having that foundation of the stuff we talked about last time, yeah. um, the stuff that's in the talk, um, talking about God's design for sex and um, what that entails, the difference between male and female, really having that foundation laid and then getting into, then getting into the puberty talks. Mm-hmm. And I would say just as a general 
a general guideline on that. Think about really getting into some of those details uh, before your child begins to experience some of those things right. or as they're noticing that their friends are doing, are going, starting to go through changes. It's a good mm-hmm. thing. And gonna stay ahead of the curve. Yeah. Stay ahead of the <laughs> right. curve and just, you know, begin doing that at those earlier, you know, in those early times. I really think that this is one of those subjects that a lot of parents um, have turned, turned over on their head. Mm-hmm. Um, often what we've noticed anyway, when we've traveled and spoken on this is they'll see our, our three different books kind of laid out on the table. And they will almost always assume that the book on puberty is the first one in the series. They really, because they, 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 they think that first you talk about puberty stuff and then you talk about the sex stuff. That's what, that's the order. I really think it's got to be the other way around because you don't understand the purpose of puberty unless you understand what's human sexuality is all about Mm -hmm. Um, so really that's why we kind of that's why we have the talk book first in the series and then puberty second and I think as a culture we've we've completely reversed that or we've we've um we've omitted the purpose of puberty from talking to kids about puberty um our kids like they know they're aware you know my kids came home several years ago realizing that um you know thus and such friend at, at wherever they were at the time uh, his voice had changed and they wanted to know why, where did that come from? Is that going to happen to me? Those, those kind of, of questions are natural indicators that you can begin to have those conversations with your kids, but we've, we've completely removed it from um, having any significance beyond just, well, your body is changing. And, yeah. and so I think it's important to say that we actually had one of our, uh, one of our listeners asked, we had a few people send in some questions for you guys. And one of them said, all right, so I got the talk when you told me to get it. And I just haven't really felt like my kids were ready for it. She has um, a 12 and a nine-year-old boy, and she feels like they're maturing uh, slower than the average 12 and nine boy. And I think that's, that's absolutely a possibility that you may have two very young boys that, you know, or, or immature boys, even if their age is 12 and nine. Um, so she ordered changes because she decided not to do the talk yet. And now she's thinking, okay, with all this in, in place, which one should I do first? So with her specific situation in mind, what do you think? You feel, you, do you still think we ought to do the talk first and then go to the changes? I would, I, I think so. Yes. I mean, again, what we're talking about with the talk, uh-huh. just to recap some of the stuff we said before, we're, we're really talking about some of the really basic fundamental things. You know, what's the difference between a, a girl's body and a boy's body? Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, why are those differences there? Biologically speaking, spe- uh, mm-hmm. scripturally speaking, why are those differences there? And then you build on top of that of, okay, so you have these parts, you have these internal parts, uh, you know, say speaking to your son, you have a penis, you have testicles, you have parts. Now, how are these things and other parts of your body going to change as a result of puberty coming on? So I I think that's the reason why we say that, because it's really more about a, yeah. I would say, too, uh, unless the 12-year-old has some significant developmental delays, I really think even an immature 12-year-old can understand the information that's in the talk. 
Um, Even an immature 12 year old can comprehend and understand what's going on. Now I know she may think, well, they're going to snicker and think it's funny. And And they probably will on some level. (laughs) And and that's okay. That's okay. But it is, it is part of God's design and it's not something that you have to be fearful of talking to your kids about. And we talked about that a lot last time I knew. Yeah. And I would say too, it just occurred to me that her 12 year old boy, if he's hanging out, no matter how immature he is, if he's hanging out with other 12 year old boys or older who may not be as immature as him, he's getting something. He's getting something. And so it's a, it's a, it's an issue of not just recognizing who your children are. I mean, that's definitely a part of the equation, but it's also taking into consideration their surroundings and what kind of information they might be getting from other people. Now we should clarify though, that, that even though he's 12 years old, he's already yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> physiologically that. going through certain things in his own body. Those can be good catalysts at this point to, since kind of, you know, you, you kind of think your son's behind the eight ball there a little bit immature um, physically speaking, unless, get, unless of course there's some physiological problem, physically speaking, by the age of 12, their, their, their bodies are doing something mm-hmm. around the age, The average age is about 10 years old when the adrenal glands begin to signal to the rest of the body to start producing more testosterone, estrogen. And boys are like sometimes that. a little later, yes. you know, girls, girls are usually on the earlier end, boys a little later, Yeah, but Yeah, I mean, and you really have to think about it, too, without talking about some of the foundational stuff that's in the talk. um, It it seems like, well, yeah, my body's changing, but But why? why? I mean, yeah, like when you're talking to girls, does God just give me a period every month just for the fun of it? That's (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't seem like a very good God, does it? (laughs) It's all about becoming a sexually mature individual. And so the kids need to grasp what that means and understand the creative intent of God. Um, behind all of, you know, what is God's plan behind all of this in order to understand what the changes are for? Exactly. Everything that happens to your body during puberty is either directly for the purpose of or a byproduct of reproductive maturity. In other words, the reason why your body is going through this is so that someday, God willing, if you get married, that you are going to become, speaking to boys now, you are going to become a fa- capable of being a father to children, actually reproducing. So the mm-hmm. things that are going on in your body from, the, from, the, from head to toe, all the changes are going on, all the hormones that are going to your body, they're making those changes happen, are all because God is transforming you into a, re- a, a reproductively mature person. You're actually turning into someone who's capable of potentially becoming a father someday. And that is, that's in the intent behind it. We have to get to the purpose, the divine purpose behind it. Otherwise, these changes are just weird things that God does to torture us. And we don't want, you know, that's not the, <laughs> that's not the, the intention we want to, right. or the, the message we want to give our kids. Right. We want to show them that God is, God is so, orchestrated. So really, I, I'd encourage this mom to really lay the groundwork. Um, kids might think it's funny or weird. And, you know, you're going to have to go over these concepts again. We can't expect to have a talk with them and them just to remember it. So we, we talked to our now nine-year-old, I don't know, a little over a year ago now or about a year ago. And we still sometimes will go, 
I don't remember how or what was that about? And yeah. we'll have to just, you know, we'll have a little impromptu talk again and just explain it again. Remember when we talked about it, you know, and we explained this? Also, so. I would also caution anybody, regardless of the age of their child, that don't try as hard as you can not to mistake the um, not to mistake a sort of the general awkwardness of a parent, especially older kids. You know, when you get to be 12, 13, 14 years old, mom coming up to you and saying, let's talk about sex. That is a, that is going to be a little bit awkward, especially for an older child, Mm -hmm. especially for, because the child knows either directly or even intuitively something about this subject already. They already have a kind of an intuition or they may have heard from somebody else or a variety of people, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. They've seen things on media. They've seen, you know, all kinds of stuff that is hinting at this, this sexual drive that is in us all. And since they picked up on that in their environment, now mom's coming and she, and she says, we're going to have this conversation about this. Or we're going to have multiple conversations about this. And that could seem a little awkward. It could seem a little weird. And we don't want to misinterpret that as, oh, they're not mature enough yet. Uh-huh. Oh, they're not ready yet. Oh, this is going to be weird. So I'm glad, I, I'm, glad I'm, I'm holding off a little longer. Well, pretty soon you hold off to their 14, 15. Good grief. You can keep holding off forever. It's not going to get easier. It's not no, going to become right. more, you know, fun to sit down with mom and chat about and, sex. And actually, in our experience, uh, the parents who sit down, earlier with their kids, yes. it's less awkward mm-hmm. and it sets the stage for more natural conversations as the kids get older. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will say that I still like my, one of my sons came to me just the other day with a question about sex and, you know, we're ones that did it early. We had the conversation early and we do have those continuing conversations um, as we go. It's not every day. It's not even every week, but it's, you know, it's, they do come up and, and our kids do feel like they can come to us and ask. And I'm grateful for that, but I still feel like, I, I just can feel it right now. Like when my son came to me with a particularly hard question, um, I immediately felt this like, Ugh, you know, like, Oh, I don't even want to have this conversation, <laughs> but his dad was working and there was, it was me. And, and I don't want to be that mom that says, we'll talk about this later. Unless unless I have a really good reason to talk about it later, but I didn't, I didn't, I knew how to answer the question. So I have gotten in the habit of just shooting up a quick little prayer. Like, okay, Lord, like literally before the words even come out of my mouth, I'm like, Lord, fill my mouth. And I just, you know, I just go there. We just go, we just do it. And, and it's no holds barred. And I I'm grateful that we have that kind of relationship where we can do that. That's That's good. good. I was going to say that when I hear the question about when is it the right time to start talking about something, my answer is always, would you rather be doing it reactionary or be prepared ahead of time? Like it's always going to be more awkward if your child brings it up out of nowhere and you are not ready for it rather than, and that they heard it somewhere else and you have stuff to correct, then you bringing it up early and having purpose behind it and being prepared as you can be (laughs) with, with resources to, to lay it out for them. So when, when I notice hesitation from a parent about it, it's like, yeah, but if you do it first, if you bring it up first, if you're ahead of the curve, it's going to be so much less awkward than trying to do damage control on something wrong they heard or 
like you said, waiting till it's so awkward that nobody wants to be a part of it, (laughs) of the conversation. So I think that's a great question. And it's good to say, just be prepared and, and approach it exactly how Luke and Trisha have said early and in increments. And then it's not this big chunk of awkwardness that everybody is afraid it'll be. So let's talk about changes. Um, Why um, the structure of it? Why did you set it up this way? Um, It's part devotional. It's part biology. Um, Why was that important to you? And do you think, um, you know, Brooke and I have both been homeschooling families and we aren't now. Do you think a homeschooling, non-homeschooling family can approach it in the same way as your homeschooling family would? Uh, okay, so first question dealing with why did we set it up that way? Yeah. I think two reasons. First reason was, one, it's, uh, a st- it's there's a strategic reason for it. And second, there's a theological reason for it. The strategic reason is because from the standpoint of our the, our, the rhythms of life of our own family, and for a lot of Christian families, they're already in the habit. And we're already in the habit of, of, a, of a routine, you know, daily or semi-daily Bible reading, devotional thing. Sitting down with your kids and opening the Bible. Most Christian parents, even if it's not an everyday thing, but they make it a routine. Yeah, they make it, they try to put it into their routine. Whether it's, they call it family worship or family devotions or whatever. um, They already are in the habit of doing that. So from a strategic standpoint, we wrote it like this because we feel like the Bible is one of the easiest for fi- especially for families like that, one of the easiest ways to break the ice on these subjects. Oh, this is just mom and dad opening up the Bible again, like they always do, mm-hmm. talking about something like they always do. And now we're just interjecting the subject of sex into it because the Bible does. The Bible's already talking about these. The Bible things. has lots about sex in it. Yeah, there's tons of information. <laughs> yes. Um, so that was a strategic reason. The second is the theological reason is that we feel like when we only talk about the, bio- the biology of puberty, without introducing God into the, into the mix that what we're doing there is we're, we're, we're implicit. We're sort of implicitly saying that, that God's not involved in these changes. God is involved in these changes. Mm -hmm. God is the one who designed the human body to go through these changes. And so by putting the Bible up at the right at the front of this whole thing, here's what the Bible has to say. And then you bring in the biology. It's letting the child know, Oh, God is the one who's orchestrating this change that I'm either about to go through, my friends are going through, uh, I am going through right now, whatever that is. God is the one involved in that. So those are the two reasons I would say. What was the second question? It was about the homeschooling. Yeah. And I I really don't see why it would need to be any different for homeschool, public school, private school families. I mean, your kids need this information. Um, about puberty, about sex. They need this foundation, especially if you're trying to raise Christian kids in this world. You, again, you want to, you want to stay ahead of what the world's teaching them. If you're not teaching it to them, they're going to get it. They're going to get it from somebody somewhere Mm -hmm. along the way. And as a Christian parent, ultimately you're the one who's responsible to God for, uh, giving them this information um, and training them correctly. So it, again, it's it doesn't take a long time. You don't need a whole school day to do it. If your kids go to school, it can be done in the evenings. It can be done on weekends. Um, this is this is not it's not 
In fact, we don't, we don't, we, in our, you know, in the past anyway, our, a lot of the formal conversations we had with kids going through these books, we have not done this during the school day. Our, our Bible routine is done typically in the evening Mm -hmm. when we're about to put the kids to bed. And if our kids went to school somewhere else, we would do it the exact same way. Right. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, when we first did the talk in our home, we were still homeschooling. And so we had gotten in the habit of doing um, a Bible study over breakfast. And we used some of your other Bible studies during that time. I think we did one on um, humility. Um, There were some other things, just great resources that Luke and Tricia have. And so they were already kind of familiar with this format um, as we would sit down and eat breakfast together. And so it just naturally kind of fit into what we were doing. But when we went to school and when we put the boys in school, we started doing things a little differently. Um, first of all, it's a mad dash to get out the door in the morning. There's really not a whole lot of time. It's one of the things I, I miss the most about homeschooling is that there's not a lot of time for that in the morning unless you get up at obscene 30 and who wants to do that, right? So um, I already don't like that they make us get there at a certain time. That's been like, what do you mean we have to get there on time? What do you mean we have to have homework? What is this? You know, as someone who homeschooled for a long time, I don't like them telling me what to do, but you know, we have to be there on time. We have to be responsible adults. So anyways, <laughs> so we have tried doing it a little differently. So my oldest son already gets up early Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and goes to a youth Bible study. <clears throat> so he's already doing this before school. So that time is just not going to work for us. And he's already getting the word. And and my husband and I, like, we really, we talk about practical application of God's word with them. I don't know. It's like just an ongoing thing. It's just all the time we're talking about um, we're talking about the Lord with them and how to and bringing up verses and things like that. So for me, one way, and if you're not a homeschooling family that you're, you know, if you're watching this and you're like, okay, well, that sounds really good. If you're home with your children all the time, but how do I make this practical if I'm not? Um, one thing that, that I've chosen to do over the last couple of years is take books like Changes and um, do a deeper study over the summer with my kids. So they're not in school. So like last year, we had them do the... Um, the book from doorposts that's called because you are strong. And it's a, it's a book on strength for boys this summer. I can see us really, like, this is the perfect time to do changes for our family um, is to sit down over the summer where none of us are running out the door at a crazy speed and just require that we get through it before they go out and, you know, play in the backyard or whatever. So there's, there's different ways that you can accomplish the same thing, even if you're not a homeschooling family. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, Let's talk, you, you touched on this for a second, um, but let's talk about the spiritual significance of puberty, because I feel like that's just something that the Christian culture, the Jewish culture was very in tune with like this coming of age kind of uh, mentality. And I don't really feel like we do a good job of that or really address it very well in the Christian community. So talk to us about the spiritual significance of puberty. Well, it, it should probably be stated at the outset that the Bible, it's, you're not really going through the scriptures to find chapter verse on puberty. Um, <laughs> that's, not really the, that's not really the way the Bible's written. There's Rather, no heading that says sex is puberty. Right. Yeah. Puberty is more or less an assumed reality in which the Bible more or less assumes as part of the picture. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think we see that reflected in the story of Jesus himself where he is going to the temple at 12 years old and he is there to, um, he is there to uh, partake of the temple rituals that are going on at the time. 
Um, that was a tradition done in his day for young boys and young girls at 12 and 13 years old for them to become what, what today in Jewish, wasn't called this back then, but today in Jewish culture was called, you know, uh, it's called uh, your, your bar mitzvah, your bat mitzvah. Uh, back then, same kind of concept there. You have, you're becoming an adult now. You are entering into the religious community of your people and taking upon yourself, hi, <laughs> and taking upon yourself the, uh, the, the duties and responsibilities and blessings of adulthood. And you're now ushering yourself into that. And so when we see him in the temple doing this, um, this is part of that rite of passage that he's going through as a young man. Um, and I think we can relate that well to, with our kids and we can say, look, even Jesus, though he was God, though he was the son of, is the son of God, though he was perfect and divine in all of these things, as a human being, it was not beneath him to go through the same physical mental, emotional changes that all human beings go through at this time of life, that the son of God himself subjected himself to even that part of the human experience. And all the people around him could see that as he was becoming, he was going from child to man and that this was, this was a change he was going through. So I think that dignifies puberty for our kids. It's not just this, you know, strange, icky experience. It's something that even the son of God himself went through. So that's, I think, one aspect of tying that in. But there's other things that we, we can tie in there in terms of the spiritual significance of puberty. Um, the main one, Trisha's already alluded to, is your, in Genesis 1, you're created male and female. Um, well, what does that mean, that you're created male and female? These body parts and these, this, all this, this internal anatomy of being male and female, the things that really make us different as men and women, those two, those different parts of our body, internally, externally, they actually don't even make sense in if you're apart from one another, right? The male anatomy doesn't make a lot of sense unless you understand the female anatomy. Mm-hmm. The female anatomy doesn't make a lot of sense unless you understand the male anatomy. Mm-hmm. It's only when you see the two together and see how they're meant to produce life, create life, create intimacy, until you see that and understand that, then, um, and of course, the Bible says this right on page one, you know, you created them male and female. Until you see that and understand that, then you're distracting, you know that? <laughs> I know. Like, hearing intently at like Luke. I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm just trying sorry. not to look. She's yeah, like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> but until you understand that, then you, um, you are not um, really understanding the purpose behind, the divine purpose behind puberty. So I think those are some, so that's getting into some of the spiritually significant stuff. I know in our book, we talk uh, about, for instance, uh, Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is this great psalm where the psalmist describes how God is involved in all these natural processes. You know, he's the one who feeds the young mountain goats and the lions and the birds and all this stuff, right? Well, any fool could look out into the world and see that the way that's happening, it's not a hand dropping out of the sky and feeding feeding all these little creatures or making all this stuff happen directly. God is working through the natural processes of nature and everything in order to bring about life and beauty in the world and feed all his creatures. Well, that's how we kind of broach the subject of puberty. God is the one orchestrating these changes because he's wired into your body 
this change that your, your body at this time of life is, is transforming. It's changing. You, the changes you're going through right now are the greatest changes that physiologically speaking that you will go through apart from this stage of life, infancy, (laughs) infancy is the greatest. This is the second greatest time of life where your body goes through changes. Your brain goes through changes, significant changes. And God is the one behind that. So that's one of the, that's some of the ways we, we broach the subjects. I, I just love bringing that, that perspective into it and in saying that God made your body and he's doing these things like that just kind of removes some of that awkwardness, some of that negativity associated with puberty. Um, I feel like I know a lot of moms that do really well with celebrating their girls going through puberty because it's like you're coming, you're going to womanhood and like, and it's almost like that's easier to associate with what it will be, why it's happening. And what, you know, if you, if you take that opportunity to discuss and say, this is why this is happening to your body and you're becoming a woman, but because for boys, it's not this like thing that you have to deal with every month that, (laughs) um, that we don't, that we don't have to like as urgently or discuss it or make it seem special. Like I know there's like, I think of the Cosby show. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a whole Cosby show episode about um, one of the daughters um, getting her period and them celebrating it and, and making sure she knows that it's be- she's becoming a woman and this is amazing and wonderful. And because the boys don't have that um, very definite monthly thing that happens once they go through puberty, um, it's easy to kind of like just skim over it and make it not seem as important as like that they're becoming a man, you know, not, not celebrating that and not saying that this is what God's doing right now. So I love that idea of saying that God's doing something in you right now. And this is the reason, and it's special and it's wonderful, not just for girls, but for boys as well. So I like that perspective that you said. There are some some definitive uh, external markers, mm-hmm. even for boys, right? Um, namely, the development of body hair in various places in their private area and their mm-hmm. like that. There are some def- more definitive external markers. Now, granted, these aren't as um, the, these are seen cyclical. As, these aren't cyc- cyclical, right? But, right. There is, but there are points, and actually, we, in the very introduction of our book and changes, we actually have a whole chart of here are general age ranges for these sort of various, what they call the tanner stages of, of puberty, mm-hmm. uh, five different tanner stages where you go through uh, with your, where you're, so you, as a sort of a, a reference for a parent to look at and say, where is my child in this process? Um, and of course, for moms of boys, this is even, this is, um, you know, this is important, maybe even more important than it is for moms of girls, because for girls, like you said, there's this monthly reminder going on mm-hmm. with, with boys. It's more subtle. The change mm-hmm. happens, uh, you know, it's, you know, of course it doesn't happen instantly, but there's this subtle change that happens over time. And before you know it, you've missed the beginning of it. And right. you're looking back and you're saying, Whoa, what happened to you? You're, you're different now. Yeah. Was there, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't miss the beginning of it, but I mean, I just, the other day I'm like, who is the man in the other room? His voice is so deep. Like, you yeah. know, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, it is funny how, how it happens so subtly. And then 
you just all of a sudden you realize, wow, all these things have happened. And, you know, we talked to our son about all these things happening and well, I've been cognizant that they are happening. It just like the voice change in particularly just struck me the other day at how deep his voice had gotten. I actually, it was really funny. Uh, this was about a year ago. We were having a birthday party at our house <laughs> and a bunch of our, a bunch of like our kids, friends were over and uh, our oldest had, had several friends yep. over and they were, one of them was, I was passing one in the hallway and he, 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 he says, hi, Mr. Gilkerson. He says it in this, wil- this, this kind of this <laughs> whisper. And I said, what, why are you, why are you whispering? He said, if I talk louder, then my voice will crack. <laughs> like, oh, your voice will crack if you, if you talk louder. And, you know, he, then he starts talking louder and I can hear it. It's kind of cracking and stuff like that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a thing I'm going through right now. <laughs> and uh, then all of a sudden at, out of the, out of the, out of the next room, his, other friend, his other friend comes up and says, it's called puberty. You're going through it. I'm going through it. We're all going through it. <laughs> <laughs> just talk, buddy. We're all dealing with it. <laughs> We're all dealing with it. You know? And, uh, you know, was, what, what was nice though, was, it was this acknowledgement, you know, here's, here's our son and his friends who are all going through, you know, these different changes. And of course, the, the, the voice changes are uh, sometimes seen as a more comical <laughs> yes. change happens, especially in a man's, in a man's yes. Um, but even that, I would say that, you know, and that we all had a laugh at that. And it was, we could laugh because it was the kids who were initiating the, the fun. But I will caution parents on this, especially when it comes to puberty. When kids start, they get crushes, uh, their body's going through awkward phases. I mean, you can look, any parent can look back on pictures of them when they Shaving were Shaving their mustaches. Right. <laughs> I think it's really important for parents to not have jokes at their child's expense when it comes to this stuff. Mm, um, you do not want to shut down p- potential future conversation because what they're going through is cute or funny or awkward or whatever. If the child's laughing along with you, okay, that's one thing. If the child's making a joke, <laughs> that's fine. But when it comes to parents, um, I think it's really important that if their child is, you know, it's obvious their child has a crush or something like that. You want to talk about that? Okay, you want to talk about that? That's fine. Um, but don't do that with a joke at your child's expense, because the last thing you want is to make them feel more awkward than they already feel. They already, puberty is already awkward. It's always, it's already weird. Uh, you don't want to compound that with, with, uh, unnecessary humor when they don't want it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I wanted to, um, make a comment quick to our listeners that, um, some of you have been asking great questions in the comments and please do that. If you have questions for Luke and Trisha, this is why we keep having them back because you guys have questions and whether we get to them today or in a future episode, or, I mean, we might have to say, let's do another one after this, but, um, uh, please put your questions in the comments. Um, you're always free to email them to us as well, but if we have them all in the comments, either they can be answered during the video or, um, somebody can come back and answer them afterwards, or we can address them in a future um, episode of mob live. We love getting to know what you want to know, because that's why we're here is to help answer those questions. So, um, one thing you guys say is that some parents inherently believe there is something naughty about sex. And that's from my experience. And from, um, from lots of our experience, that's a big problem in the church. Like, um, just that idea that it's like, we're just going to say, just say no. So the metro that our kids just get this, like that Pavlovian, like, oh, that's bad. 
you know, that's a bad thing, you know, that has to, and then it has to be overcome when they get married. (laughs) So how is like changes and just the model of communication that you guys have through the talk and and the changes in your other books, um, how can that overcome this problem of that idea that sex is naughty, sex is bad? It's like sex is bad, 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 and then bam, good. Good. (laughs) How do we, how do we, get rid of that in, yes, you know, in our families. Gross and save it for the one you love. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That was my favorite line from the last one. That was, <laughs> I was, I was trying to explain it to someone. I'm like, just go watch the video. It's just really funnier in the whole context of the video. But that's so true. It is. We're laughing about it, but it is. And that's, that is kind of the message we send to our people. It is. A lot of times when we're telling them, you know, no, no, it's no, don't think about sex. Don't talk about it. Don't, you know. We're not going to do say anything about it. Um, I think really how our book helps with this is the whole book assumes that sex is good. Um, it's just like the Bible, right? The Bible talks about the goodness of sex. And, um, you know, we have to think about sex that, yes, sex is powerful. Um, and think about it like in terms of the fire, right? Sex is, or fire is powerful. It can hurt you. There's a lot of damage it can do. My parents had a house fire a little over a year ago and like their whole house had to be like, I mean, you know, so fire can be dangerous, but fire is also good. It's given us a lot of things. Um, It warms us before there were heaters and um, it's done a lot of good for the world. Um, And sex is the same way. It is a good gift from a good God, but it's powerful. It needs to be learned to be used in the correct way within the context of marriage. And that's how we frame everything within the book, that it's powerful. And we need to look at how our creator intended for it to be used and teach our kids that it needs to be, you know, sex is for the context of marriage uh, with one man and one woman. And that's the context for it. But it is a good thing. And it's a get good gift from a good God. It's the same. Uh, we actually have used the fireplace analogy with our kids. You know, we'll have, we have a fireplace in our living room. And we say, is a fire in the fireplace a good thing? And they say, yeah, we love the fire. In the fireplace. <laughs> and I say, now move that fire about 10 feet over to the middle of the living room floor. Is it still a good thing? Well, the fire is the fire itself might be good, but it's in a bad place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It is in a bad place, mm-hmm. right? That's how we kind of talk about marriage. Fire, it's by it, fire in and of itself is great, but it's meant for the fireplace of marriage because it's what it's built for. It's what the fireplace is meant for. It's meant for, uh, you know, the fireplace is made of brick and stone and we got pokers and grates and things to keep it all, all contained but it, it's built in order to feed the house warmth that's that's what it does so we we've used that analogy many times uh to talk about that 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 concept of of sex being both good and powerful and really not only does that state in the very first couple pages of the bible the idea of the goodness and power of sex but then it's woven throughout the narrative of the bible right? you constantly see these these dual themes of goodness and power uh, when it comes to sex. And you don't want to get away from that. Those are two important lessons you've got to teach your kids mm-hmm. that it is good, but it's powerful. Yeah, what, I think what you see in um, in liberal cultures, in cultures, the subcultures that are very liberal, they, they emphasize, they stress the goodness of sex, but they neglect to talk about its power, right? 
Sex is wonderful all the time, anywhere, as long as it's consensual. And the power of it, it's power to create life, it's power to bond two people together in intimacy. Those kind of things are not really discussed in, in, in great measure because it de-emphasizes the importance of marriage and commitment. Um, in conservative cultures, it's the exact opposite. The power of sex is emphasized, but the goodness of sex is not talked about at all. So power is it's almost like this radioactive material that we, we have to be really careful with, but we don't talk about you know how good it is. Or sometimes we see that in very conservative cultures, both the goodness and the power of sex it's just not talked about. It's just not discussed we just, at all. We just yeah. don't talk about it. That's not, we don't go there. And so I say it's not really so much about balance as if you've got to have 50% of the power, 50% of the goodness. <laughs> you've got to emphasize both uh-huh. emphatically. You've got to say, yes, sex is great, wonderful, awesome, awesome gift. It's also powerful. It's not meant to be just do whatever, do whatever you want with it. And our good creator inspired a book. And in that book, he gave us all kinds of wonderful guidelines around this good gift and telling us what to do with it and what not to do with it. And those, those guidelines about what to do with it and what not to do with it are for our good so that we can appreciate the goodness of sex and enjoy the goodness of sex without being, you know, destroyed by it, without being burned by it. Yeah. And it's really important. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's really, that's good. We have a similar conversation with our boys over water. Because our boys are little fish. They love to swim. They're good swimmers. They're good, strong swimmers. Um, But, you know, if we ever go to the beach or whatever, I want them to have a healthy respect. It's kind of like, you know, dogs as well. Like we have two big dogs in our home and our boys have grown up with dogs and they love dogs. But if they go to somebody else's house, I need them not to assume that the other dogs are as nice to get along with as our dogs are. So it's teaching, you know, this sense of respect of power of what is powerful. So I, I love that. I want to wrap us up. We, ha- we do have a, a couple really good questions in the comments right now under the video. So I thought we'd just wrap up by answering a couple of those just to put you guys right on the spot. Um, <clears throat> one of our, one of our listeners says they still go through the changes, even if they're not able to, or want to reproduce. So let's say, you know, Susie Q or Timmy goes through the changes um, and then later on can't conceive, can't have children for some reason. They're still going through the changes, whether or not they can conceive or reproduce or not. This particular reader asks, are you saying reproduction is the only goal? How about the purpose of sexual pleasure? Isn't that another purpose? And shouldn't we talk to them about that as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, re- when I say reproductive maturity, I just mean the, re- the, re- the maturity of the reproductive organs. Uh-huh. So I don't mean me- merely the maturity to in order to reproduce. So when I- puberty primarily, the primary purpose of puberty is to go through um, so that, you're, so that the, um, your, your body, whether it's a, let's say in a boy's body, um, uh, your penis, testicles become mature. Uh, the, of course, the various hormones that are going through your body, also producing various other side effects, uh, creating, you know, creating more, making you more muscular, these kind of things. All of these things are not just passages to manhood in some sort of vague sense, but they are to uh, mature your sexual organs so that, yes, it's true. You may never be able to actually have children, but your body is capable of one of the things would be using your reproductive organs in 
uh, in a in, in an intimate capacity with a woman. So that would be that would be another way to talk about it. So you know, when I say reproductive maturity, I don't mean merely reproducing, merely having babies. I mean the the rep- the maturity of the reproductive mm-hmm. parts of your body. Yeah, really good explanation. Um, so Maria is asking this. She says. My Sunday school teacher talked about how frustrated she is with the statement, stay pure until marriage, because that, and I'll say like when I was growing up in the nineties and probably you guys as well, because I feel like we're all about the same age. Um, there was the, that, that was the movement, right? That was the stay pure, um, all those things. Um, my husband and I actually, before we were even dating, we, we grew up in the same church. We went to a true love weights conference and we did it. We did this hilarious skit together. Of course, I had a big crush on him and I'm not sure he even like remembered my name after that. That's a whole different story. But, um, you know, we did this whole skit together, at a true love weights conference, and then didn't start dating for another several years after that. But she says, um, this Sunday school teacher is saying this indicates that once you get married and have sex, you're no longer pure. So how can we kind of separate the whole purity thing from uh, waiting until you're married? Because it, there, I think it maybe comes back to or circles back to what the question that Aaron asked, which was, how do we keep our kids from being like bad, 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 good, or, or assuming that there's something impure um, about sexuality? It's not the sex itself that's impure. Yeah, the, uh, the, it's funny. There was a, there's, a really, uh, there's a really good book specifically for boys uh it's called uh it's by donald miller it's called to own a dragon um it's a really good book uh he actually it's reflections on him growing up without a father mm. and he there's a whole chapter in there on sex and sexual purity and stuff like that and he says one of the big um one of the big things to he, he kind of talks about it almost like um like like currency he says what's the value of a dollar the value of a dollar is the value we place on it, right? And it's it's not so much that the it's not so much that the we we don't like it's not so much that we don't like counterfeits because counterfeits are inherently a problem or inherently evil. It's because the value of a dollar is so great, right? A real dollar will actually buy you something. The counterfeit gets you nothing. He says the reason why counterfeits should be, you know, get, why we get rid of counterfeits or why we don't like the, you know, why we don't like them is not because it's not because we think money is bad. It's actually the opposite. It's because we think money is actually very good. Same thing with sex. uh, Sex is good. The reason why we don't like impurity, why we don't want impurity is precisely because it's good. It's it's because it's, it's because what the, what impure sex does is it robs people of the goodness of what sex is. So it's really, it's over. We just need to turn the conversation over on its head. It's not bad, 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 good. It's, it's good all the way through. And you can take this good thing and misuse a good thing. We, you know, we use the the fire fire analogy or the water analogy or the dog analogy, whatever. There's ways in which good things can be misused for bad reasons. And so that would be, that would be another way to, another way to address that. I think also as, as part of that, I would agree with the sentiment that uh, remain pure till you're married. I do think it has, the, there is an implicit kind of, there's a kind of sleight of hand there of, of now, now that you're married, now that you can have sex, now you are no longer pure. I don't think the Bible teaches that kind of concept. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, that's maybe not the way it was it's intended to be said, okay. but I think that some people can misconstrue it that way for sure. Um, 
way I, I, I tend to, while the, the pure, word purity is a biblical word, the word purity is inherently a negative word in the sense that pure, what purity says or what purity stresses is the absence of something, right? The absence of a, an impurity. Pure water is simply that. It is simply water. It is the absence of some kind of contaminant in the water. That's what we're saying about water when it's pure. Same thing with sexual purity. We're saying it's the absence of something. Well, the Bible talks about that. It's the absence of things like adultery and incest and, 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 and sex before marriage. Yeah, the absence of those things. But more than just the absence of something, we want to give our kids a positive picture of sex by stressing things like uh, gratitude, by stressing things like, uh, you know, family, love, devotion. This is about the presence of something, but the presence of something. So those are the kind of other biblical words that we infuse into the conversation about sex. It's not merely about being pure. It's not merely about remaining uncontaminated. It's about becoming the kind of person who loves the way Jesus loves. Mm -hmm. And then that love bleeds into your marriage. It bleeds into your relationship with your kids, right? It bleeds into all those areas of life, how you relate to your neighbor, everything. And the same thing's true for sex. That when you love as Jesus, when you become the kind of person that Jesus is, then that also goes into how you relate to sex, how you relate to your own body when it comes to sex. You refrain from sex before marriage, not because you think sex is bad, because you think it's so good, such a good gift to give to another, that you're not just going to give it, uh, give it to anyone, however, you know, however you want. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to use what God said about sex and, and treat it, treat it responsibly. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Oh, like, can, can we just like have another hour? Oh, wait, we get another one later. <laughs> yeah. In, in a time. There is so much to talk about isn't there like I feel like every time we sit down with you guys an hour is up and we're like oh my gosh we're not even done with everything but that's good because that means that um that this is important and this is healthy and I feel like there's a lot of growth happening even, like amongst us talking mm -hmm. and then the people that are responding to it and we are so grateful for you guys for sharing your resources and your wisdom and everything that you have um on this topic and then coming on and talking about it with us. Cause I think a lot more comes out in conversation than we can ever see just on a page. So we appreciate you guys joining us for this again. The historical Jesus podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.